0: Welcome to Side Effects, with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred.
1: Effect is a verb, meaning action. Action influences outcomes.
0: I'm Scott McGowan. And
1: I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently.
0: Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. With us are, uh, we have three guests with us today.
2: Uh, Dave Holman, Den Bishop.
0: And Mike Sutton. So it was a terrific day at McGowan Brabender today. We had our Innovation Symposium, normally an annual event. Last year we didn't have one, this year we had one. It was packed with um, some terrific speakers. We had uh, Craig uh, Osterhughes from General Electric, who talked to us about better health, better care, lower cost. Kelly Owen with Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield talked to us about Payment innovation and initiatives, and the Den Bishop from Holmes Murphy in Dallas talked about Medicare versus private pay. One of our missions at McGowan Braveenter is to provoke people to think differently, and we like to say we want to provoke the comfortable and comfort the provoked. And I'll start with uh, maybe you, Dave. I would say today we poked the bear a little bit.
2: Uh, yeah, we did. It was it was funny because. Uh in between some of the guests, we we brought them up and had a panel discussion, and and we had uh, some lively I want to say not questions but kind of statements from different uh, entities from the healthcare system, and it was great to get feedback um, from them, which we we look for. Uh, it was a very lively group. Uh, participated in several different ways. And, and afterwards, they several people stuck around to ask questions, engage in conversation as to really what the next steps are as far as carrying forward some of the conversation. So uh, all in all, I, I give it two thumbs up.
0: Well, one so. of the things we say on Side Effects, too, is I don't care if we're right. I don't care if we're wrong. I just don't want to I don't want to be afraid to say it. So that's our posture here on Side Effects for our listeners. So uh, Den, I mean, you always just bring really challenging, thought uh, provocative thoughts to the table uh, about about healthcare. Being in Dayton, watching our customers, what was your opinion of uh, today's event?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think it stretched the thinking of the customers really from all three speakers in, in different ways. My point was to just help people understand what I refer to as the hidden Medicare tax that um, what, what the federal government through Medicare pays for primarily hospital services is dramatically different than what uh, MB's customers pay and everyone in the employer space. Um, on the national average, employers pay about 63% more for the exact same healthcare services than the federal government pays through Medicare. And my question to the audience is to what level of price discrimination is okay? Um, that's a hard one to answer.
1: That's a good word. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that was really interesting to me, when, when Dave and Scott and I sat around and tried to think of what would be impactful and useful for employers, we have a great opportunity in our jobs to talk to a lot of people in our industry, uh, not only locally but across the country. And there are certain people that energize us, inspire us, engage us, and quite frankly make us feel a little uncomfortable. Are we doing enough? Are we leading the way we should? Do we have people engaged in the right conversations? And I think today was more about just presenting ideas out there to start the discussion. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of decisions to be made, and things are going to change really rapidly. But really, we want to start the discussion and not be afraid of um, who we might uh, annoy or, as, as you said, Scott, we wanted to poke the bear a little bit today, and I think we did. Yeah, I
0: think what's interesting, too, is, you know, one of the things that we're really passionate about is obviously mitigating disease state, creating a healthier employee, healthier businesses, healthier communities. But in healthcare, and I'm not even sure why this is the uh, the case, but I've always said diseases like poverty, there's a lot of money in it and nobody wants to talk about it. So we, we, always, um, we always respond to an issue. And I think when we spend time understanding the issue... It just opens our eyes to what the real problem is
3: it's got I do think it, it's a it's a tough message um, that's there, and we could tell by the questions on the in the comments on the break that uh, you know, it's a little bit uncomfortable in, in terms of what's there, and it is important to to note that in the healthcare system i I know at, at Holmes Murphy in Texas where I am, we have a belief that you guys share here and that the true enemy that we're fighting against is disease. And it's truly in healthier living is, is the real opportunity that we have. Um, so it's, it's important to understand that the enemy is not the federal government. Um, we have a massive debt issue. Healthcare is the primary driver of our debt issue in this country. Um, the hospitals are not the enemy the insurance companies are not the enemy and and even we as advisors aren't the the enemy the enemy is disease but we do need to align all stakeholders in a truly transparent system where where we're working to solve the problem if we don't solve the cost problem then the federal government will solve it for us and it might not be in a way we really like
0: well excellent point i think you know one of the things too you said the, the unfunded, so we talk about $19 trillion of debt. And I think what uh, a lot of our uh, listeners or people don't understand is it's, it's actually $100 trillion of debt when we have no money in a fund to pay for Medicare. We have no money in the fund to pay for Social Security and other programs. And I was sitting down with my son. He's 24 now. And fortunately, he's really uh, just curious, you know, about government and about politics. And so we measured a dollar bill. And we thought, you know, how far would a hundred trillion dollars go? And so if you taped one dollar bill on top of another dollar bill, how far would it go? And so my first quest was how far is Mars? Wasn't wasn't far enough. I needed to find something eight billion miles away to stretch dollar bills to get to a hundred trillion. And Pluto uh, is is uh, four billion miles away. So basically, it's a roll of dollar bills taped to one another all the way to Pluto and back. And none of that's funded. And obviously, as taxpayers, we're paying for that.
1: Yeah, you know, Scott, I think one of the things you mentioned in today's session that that struck a chord with me is we're all to blame. We've all contributed to creating this, and it doesn't get solved unless we all kind of take off our own individual stakeholder hat and, and get away from protecting our own individual interests and focus on the community. Uh, people got into, you know, being providers of health care, carriers, uh, employers, they care. Uh, and what we need to do is is translate that, that caring attitude into uh, cooperation and um, aligning... Uh, a, a group of people together to work together to solve the problem. Because it's not one of us, and it's not one of us that's going to solve us. It, t- it takes leadership, and it takes uh, commitment from across all stakeholders.
0: Yeah, well, one of the things Craig brought up, too, that I'm not sure society understands is the, the socioeconomic issues of health care. The fact that ac- access to healthy foods for people at a reasonable price is really difficult on families, and that has a big impact. And then just behaviorally, how we always managed health care. And unfortunately, um, we've kind of thought this is other people's money. And I think what we did today is expose the people like, wow, that was our money to begin with. And when I think about healthcare, I think about almost like uh, my son. And when he was 16, and you talked about this a little bit, uh, a war on boys, and maybe we'll let you talk about that. But <laughs> what I thought about insurance, though, is so I have uh, my car insurance is through Nationwide. But I thought about nationwide does really does nothing to help my son become a better driver. I bought insurance to protect my son, uh, other people around my son, and the vehicle that he drives. What how my son learned how to drive is um, we taught him how to drive. We taught him the behavior of how to drive, how to take care of himself. The government gave us this moral compass or code of speed limits. And then there's consequences for going too fast, getting in accidents. So the insurance company really didn't play that much of a role in that. And unfortunately, I think we've just kind of enabled the consumer way too much in this.
1: Yeah, the one thing that they have played a role in from the insurance company side is they've had a cost associated with the behavior or the, the conditions or the health uh, scenarios you run into. And now it seems that through the Affordable Care Act, a lot of that, that pressure on price is being taken away. And quite frankly, part of the reason it grows at the rate it does is because the ultimate user of health care doesn't have a direct payment. You know, they don't have to pull out their wallet at the doctor's office or at the hospital or write a check for that bill. It goes through and, it, and the cost is hidden from them.
3: The the Affordable Care Act has had a massive impact, and I love your example of the automobile insurance. Uh, about two weeks ago, United Healthcare came out with their statement that they are going to pull out of the vast majority of the health insurance marketplaces in the United States because of the underwriting losses in that government program sector that that are there. And um, I spoke a couple of weeks ago to a property casualty industry association. Um, they, they know nothing about health care. They're, they're in the property casualty business. They insure automobiles. They insure homes. And that and I, I, my topic and where I went with it was I said, what if it was Obama cover instead of Obamacare? And my point was if the federal government applied the same rules to property casualty insurance lines, what would that world look like? And one of the examples that I used was uh, a, an actively burning building that if someone called and said my house is on fire I need to get some fire insurance well typically the insurance company would say well there's no way we're going to insure a burning building but if we applied these same rules they would say well that's that's simply a pre-existing condition um, so you need to accept that burning building um, while it's on fire and, while it's at, and <laughs> by the way you can't charge more for that you have to charge this, well everyone else that's insured would have to pay for that burning building that just got insured, that is the healthcare system. So that's why a company like United Healthcare would look at this massive business opportunity and potentially walk away from the whole system because the the consequences of choices and behaviors, at least at this point, have been removed from the system, and so we can't charge more for for certain things that maybe maybe we. We we would if we could, and I think in automobile insurance I, I, is another great example, is you know a person who gets multiple speeding tickets, that individual may not have filed a claim, but the insurance company knows they got three or four speeding tickets in the prior year. They're going to increase their cost. Well, why they haven't had a claim? You know, yes, but their behaviors indicate they're higher risk. Therefore, they pay more.
0: Oh, good point. We
3: have removed that from the healthcare system. And said, "Well, wait a minute. We we got to limit whether or not we can charge more for behaviors. The the consequences drive better behaviors.
1: It's wow. one of the, it's one of the things we talk about with employers too. If the, if if the government uh, doesn't or doesn't allow insurance companies to rate for those risks, we start talking about employers about should you rate for those risks? Should you should you have that employee that willing, willfully carries disease and risk into your organization?" Or into your building, should you charge them more? Smoking surcharges, or uh, you know, outcome-based uh, biometrics? Yeah, but Mike, that's designs. that's
0: not that's not that's not fair.
1: Sure it is. Sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're kidding me. Yeah, I'm um, kidding you. but it, but it's it's just simply uh, a reflection of. I, I would put it this way to you, Scott. You might view if you're the one that smokes or is overweight or doesn't exercise, you would you would be the first to jump up and say that's not fair. The problem is the person who takes care of themselves, eats right, lives the right way, so forth. The environment we've been in over the last few years is we go out to an employee meeting and we see 100 people and we say everybody's cost is going up by 15% because of these cost trends. And quite frankly, that's not fair.
3: Another place in this around behaviors that are there, um, and I'm not sure which of the psychographic profiles I fit that were introduced today, but I found the information fascinating that was presented. Um, but in our plan for our employees, um, age-appropriate cancer screenings are a big deal. As an employer, in our core beliefs, we believe that that we should have a positive influence on people to help them try to prevent if they can, but find cancer earlier that's there. So, uh, so I'm 51 years old, um, and I turned 50 in my last plan year. Well, I didn't have an economic choice or I did have an economic choice around whether or not to get a colonoscopy. But if I chose to not get a colonoscopy, it would have cost me $1,000 more for my insurance this year. I love that we do that as an employer um, because it created positive accountability for me. If it wasn't for that, and again, I'm not sure which psychographic profile I am, I would have found a thousand reasons to not get it done and, and would have delayed something that I knew was there now I am glad to report that the physician told me I have the colon of a 25 year old so I know you guys are jealous yeah. <laughs> so That's to, all that Texas food <laughs> yeah.
1: so you you took the idea that the colonoscopy experience was worth a thousand dollars to me to avoid it
3: it was it was worth it one I, we have a family history of cancer um, not, not, not colon cancer that, that was there so I'm sensitive to the subject. But I needed the motivation that right. that was there, even though I intellectually absolutely know that was an important thing to do. But one without it, that motivation, I wouldn't have done it.
0: One of the things I want to ask you, Dan, too, because what, what how you unpack the difference between what private private payers pay, so what employers pay for health care, and what the federal government pays for healthcare care was astounding. And I think we've insulated the consumer from that information. So I just want you to imagine for a minute, just our listeners, so I... Uh, um, I am just a, an employee pulling up to the gas tank, and then I see a federal employee right next to me. We're paying for gas, and I look at his pump, and he's paying a dollar a gallon, and i got to pay a buck 63 because I don't work for the government. So employers are paying a buck 63 a gallon, and the federal government's paying a dollar.
3: Actually, I'll correct you because we want to say employers are paying that, but really it's the employees that are that are paying that. They pay it through their contributions. They pay it through plan design. Plan designs all across the country are less valuable today than they were two or three years ago, and they also pay for it in lost wages. An employer, the the benefit cost is an element of compensation. Every customer we have, and I'm sure every customer you have, looks at it the same way. It's an element of compensation. A dollar worth of compensation that went to a benefit cost, that got paid out in extra charges to a hospital, to an emergency room, to that, that didn't have to be spent is a dollar worth of compensation that could have gone in an employee's bank account. Wow. That's the way that it, it works. So yes, it is the employer bank account that ultimately the money is coming from to pay for the benefits, the insurance cost. But ultimately... It's the employees that pay that. They don't know it and they don't feel it. But in fact, they are paying that. One of the the items that I talked about today too is is the war on the middle class that politically has become very popular to talk about that. But when you look from 2007 to 2014, the growth in healthcare expenditures over that period as a percentage has been a little over 60% for the average family of four in this country. At the same time, the median household income went up only 6%.
0: I think you said on your slide that the out-of-pocket has gone up by $8,000, mm-hmm. right? Yes. For, for middle class. Okay. And the okay. wages have gone up by $3,200. Correct. Yeah.
3: Correct. According to the Milliman Medical Index, which I I view as, a, as the gold standard for looking at health costs in this country, because what Milliman looks at is really what the hospitals are generating in in revenue, what the insurance companies are paying. It's not an employer-specific item. They consult with hospitals. They consult with insurance companies. They know where the dollars are going. And they projected last year that the average health cost, and this is not insurance cost, this is truly health cost, that which is going in the healthcare system, the average health cost in 2016 will eclipse $25,000 for a family of four. $25,000 for a family of four. And so when we look at how much money that is taking out of a middle-class family or any class family's budget, they don't see it, they don't feel it, because somehow, way, it's somebody else's money in the system. But ultimately, it's taking dollars that could have gone to bonuses and paychecks and raises and those kinds of things. It's tragic. We have to solve it.
1: I, I'm curious about something, and Dave, maybe I'll ask you this, is it seems to me over the last few years, either I'm getting smarter or this is becoming more apparent across across uh, the country. Employers are starting to get, well, sessions like today that open their eyes to some of the, the things that are happening. There's also a lot of data becoming available, and, and I think data leads to good questions. But it's becoming easier for an employer to identify what they should be doing. But the, the, the common problem still exists is how do we get employees to understand, number one, what the employer wants them to do and understand the rationale behind it? Because when you don't explain why you want them to check prices, they assume that you want them simply to buy the cheapest medical care, irrespective of quality. Uh, and the real challenge is to becoming effective in communicating to employees that, quite frankly, it is obvious that quality care costs less. So if we can just push them towards quality care, it will help solve the employer's problem. Um, And getting it coming from a source that they trust, the employer, more than the insurance company, is a step in that direction. But Dave, you spoke a lot about how communication to employees and effective communication to employees is changing. Can you kind of summarize your twenty-minute talk in a minute?
2: Yeah, um, I, I said that the the world has changed around us, but we are still communicating the, the old-fashioned way. We we are still communicating to uh, employee populations like healthcare simply a transaction that takes place once a year. You come in, uh, you listen to what what's going on with your co-payment changes, with your premium changes. Then you sign a form, you check a box, you turn it in, and and the conversation's done for the next 12 months. And um, now what we're finding out is that we need to engage our employee population. We need to impact behavior, uh, change attitudes, educate consumers, get them uh, to make better decisions, to ask questions when, when services are being provided. But we're still using that old chassis where it's it's one message to everybody. Well, as I mentioned today, we're all wired differently. The way that we're going to react and, and change behavior is going to be completely different. So um, I spent some time today talking about psychographics and, and segmenting your population into to five different buckets. And then once you understand what bucket they're in, you can tailor your messaging. Um, the, the way that it's delivered, and, and the actual content packaging to, to get people to, to change. And that's very different than the one-size-fits-all, which is what we've operated under for years. So, uh,
1: And this is something, this, this uh, psychographics and this approach to communication, while it was new to me when you brought it up to me three months ago and it made me feel stupid that I had no idea what you are talking about, it's been out there for a while. Oh, it's been
2: going on for decades, and and the consumer product uh, you know, marketing vertical. They, uh, the, those companies, consumer products companies, know and have built profiles on on every one of us. They know what your habits are. They know when you what day of the week that you you will go out and purchase laundry detergent. They know whether or not you like pods or dry detergent. They know um, if a coupon is going to influence your behavior. They, you know, they know how frequently you purchase it. So when they understand all that, then they can tailor their messaging and where you hear their messaging and how they get you to come in the store and, and buy the product. It's, it's kind of scary when you think about it, but it's, it's kind of genius in another way.
0: Well, I think, too. I mean, I, I think for a long time we've addressed generational issues. So then we're the same age. Uh, I grew up. I was afraid of the Cold War. I talk to the generation today. Uh, they're afraid of terrorism. I mean, and so we, we build communication thinking generationally. And then we uh, we kind of stack on psychographics on top of that. And, it, and it's not it's not scary information to think about because really all we're trying to do is, is find out what motivates people, you know, what changes people. And so when we understand generationally how people think and we stack on psychographics on top of that, we can be really effective leaders. As a matter of fact, if you go back to some of the prior podcasts with uh, Anna, and myself, we've got a generational discussion uh, and about generational thinking inside the workforce. Uh, and then Dave, I think you joined in and I uh, a couple last of weeks ago. Was, I think it was last episode uh, about uh, specifically going into depths about psychographics, how that works, and how useful that can be for benefits and, and human resources.
2: Yeah, and and you know the thing is, I think when you talk about this, when you start talking about psychographics. Uh, HR and benefits eyes kind of glaze over and they're thinking, oh my gosh, on top of everything else I'm doing, I've now got to take this and write it five different ways. And that's really not the intention with this. That is, uh, you're delivering the same content. It's just understanding who your audience is. And so one of the things I challenge the audience today is just think about it in terms of, instead of having one open enrollment meeting 10 times, what about having Um, just an open enrollment meeting for each market segment. You're delivering the same content, but the way you're explaining the benefits and what you want the employees to do um, is just a different way of delivering the content. And I know it kind of sounds in a way like it's overly simplified, but who says it's got to be complicated? Sometimes we look for the complicated answer because it's a complicated issue. Dave, I'll
1: give you a real tangible example of how that um, it works. I mean, there's you know the, the twelve questions that that identified me as a priority juggler, and I was speaking with the the, the firm that uh, does a lot of this. A couple gentlemen that uh, emanated into healthcare out of uh, Procter and Gamble, and after I finished the test, the results came back. He looked at my phone. He said, "Let me ask you, if I needed to get an answer from you tomorrow or from you by the end of the day, I'd be much better off texting you than I would be emailing you." And I said, "Oh, absolutely." And I I told him, I said, one of my least favorite questions in the world is, did you see my email? Because there are days where you start at 730 in the morning and you don't get done till 630 at night. And I go home and kids fed, homework to bed, all that. I might not get an opportunity to dive deep into my email until 10 o'clock. And I've got 120 emails to get through and it doesn't get responded to. My wife knows if she needs to get a hold of me, she doesn't send an email because it might be a day or two before I, I see it and respond. It, it comes through uh, a text. Uh, and people who I've told that to now text me. So now I'm worrying about what the next problem is going to be when I can't get through all the texts.
3: So, Mike and Dave, what does it say about my profile that I have over 24,000
1: unread emails? <laughs> is that bad? <laughs> you're, you're probably bad? This, I've got about 78,000 that I, I, I read them, but I, ne- I never get rid of them. I save them, and I store them, and I archive them. And I, I was talking to our, uh, our uh, uh, data guy, and I said uh, – okay, so tell me the best way to get rid of these. He goes, oh, don't get rid of them. He goes, memory's cheap. I'll just buy it, just store them. So now I go back and it takes me 20 minutes to find an email that was two and a half years old, but I can find it.
0: Well, those of you that are are interested in learning a little more about what happened today, you can go to healthierbirthdays.com and we'll put the slide decks out there uh, in regards to what Craig talked about, better health, better care, lower cost, uh, what Kelly spoke about, in regards to payment innovation and initiatives, what Den spoke about Medicare versus private pay. There's some information uh, in regards to psychographics, and then also some of our discoveries at and Brabender about how we empower business, empower people, and ultimately empowering healthier living for the people that we serve.
2: Yeah, and I think what we will also uh, be checking back at these podcast episodes because we uh, captured the audio from today's session. And so we'll be sharing uh, snippets and, and upcoming episodes and, and spattering them in here. I think one of the things we definitely want to do is um, put Dunn's talk in here. Uh, you know, we're sitting here talking to Den right now, but you just got a very small uh, segment of everything that, that he talked about. And I was just, I was glued to my chair. I live in this every day. Um, it takes, it takes a great deal to really kind of lock me in. I kind of uh, drift from time to time, and I was absolutely locked and loaded during Den's discussion today. So we'll put that out there for you.
0: Well, Den, thanks for visiting us from Dallas.
2: Thank you. Always
3: a pleasure to be here at MB.
0: Well, they're just they're an innovative company. Mike, thanks for everything that you do, and uh, join us at HealthierBirthdays.com. You can email me at Scott at birthdays Ann's not here. You can let her know at Ann at HealthierBirthdays.com. And as we always say with side effects, we might be right, we might be wrong, but we're not afraid to say it. Have a terrific day. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at Scott at HealthierBirthdays.com.
2: Or Ann at HealthierBirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on, on Side Effects. effects.